0: I, I'm I'm ready for anything. Just put me for whatever you know. Just like
1: I'm scheduling you for all the
0: Bergmans. Um, I swear to God I swear, <laughs> to God. I swear to God. I swear to fucking God. I will lose
2: my. You f- just said you're up for every
0: anything except no. for Bergman. Except that guy. <laughs> Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to
1: Secret Movie Club Podcast 63. I just want to give a shout out. Um, my wife, Martha, and I welcomed our daughter on Saturday, Pamela Aida Hamill. She came June 26th. And everybody you're going to hear on this podcast who's going to introduce themselves in a moment played a key part in letting that happen. We'll tell that story maybe a little later, but I just want to say, Pammy, I love you, and it's wonderful to have you in the world. And today, we are going to be talking about spoof movies. And interestingly, we had to call off our last spoof movie edwin and connor were there but uh saturday night we were showing airplane top secret and the naked gun all done by some configuration of the abrams uh zucker team and all those movies were in some ways spoofs of other movies or genres and that is our topic for today we're going to get into all of it more but who is with us
0: hey it's daniel hey it's me
2: connor the people's
1: champion
0: hello america I'm just still here, as the
1: American institution that you are, Edwin. Something we could always rely on, like ice cream and apple pie and the USPS walks with Mary Jane uh, I, I, in the park. I, I don't
0: know about pie. I mean, Mary Jane, yes, but pie, no, man. I don't, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, man. I don't like pie. Yeah, I, I like Mary Jane. You don't <laughs> like pie? No.
2: Were you anti-American? This is the Fourth of July soon? You don't like pie? I just, I don't like- <laughs> We who? Okay. Communist?
0: I'm not a communist, man.
1: Hey, we're a Big Ten secret movie club, just like America. We welcome all viewpoints. Thank you, Edwin. You are an American institution. Peach pie is my favorite for whatever it's worth. Anyway, wonderful to have, everybody. Announcements at the head of the show. This week, we are ramping up our programming, so knock wood, we can keep doing that. Friday, we are doing Terrence Malik's Badlands' as debut movie, which I love. I mean, like the first four are all untouchable, but Badlands on 35mm, Secret Movie Club Theater. Our double feature at the Million Dollar this Saturday, which will be July 3rd. We're calling Altman's America. We're very lucky. We have a friend of Secret Movie Club And someone who's working with us on some series we hope to announce for 2022 Really exciting movie series And uh, this person happens to be able to get us archive prints And I am so grateful And so we have an archive print of Nashville on 35mm And then Warner Brothers is giving us their 35 of McCabe and Mrs. Miller If you've never seen an Altman movie Or maybe you've only seen the more recent ones Or just The Player or MASH or The Long Goodbye Weirdly like John Ford You could take a lot of Altman movies and tell the history of America. He's made movies that go as far back as the 19th century, and he's made movies that go all the way up to right before he passed, and many of them uh, looking at American history irreverently and honestly as he saw it. And we're going to do two of those, Nashville, uh, which is an amazing movie about the music industry in Nashville in 1975, but really sort of about the state of the country under post-Nixon. And then uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is this incredible Western with uh, Warren Beatty and Julie Christie that uh, really shows you probably what Western towns were like which is muddy and drug addled and trying to struggle to find society and hyperviolent. And they're both great. That's million dollar theater. Then we are doing the makeup this Saturday of the naked gun on 35 millimeter at eight 30 PM at the secret movie club. Cause I had to call that off and run to the hospital after having projected the first two movies and Connor was like, what can I do? What can I do to help? He helped shut down the club right away. He was the manager that night. And Edwin, I thought Edwin was going to be like, You're not showing the naked gun? I thought he was going to dig into me. Instead, Edwin jumped up, gave me a big hug, said, what can I do? Oh, my God, you got to get to the hospital. So those two guys just made it happen within 20 minutes so that I could be in my car getting to Panorama City. And
2: I wasn't sure what the sex of the baby was going to be, so I was also the standby moil. (laughs)
1: Hell, yeah. I forgot about that. You had that plastic knife from the in and out Burger. You're just ready to go. As a Gentile, I like that you know what a moil is. That's good. Uh, you're going to give us a, just an impromptu brist. Do you know any rabbinical prayers in Hebrew?
2: Oh, I'm sure I can make some up. <laughs>
1: uh, and then I called Daniel at 1130 at night and I was like, Daniel, can you just completely run the million dollar paths of glory, Barry Lyndon? And Daniel, without missing a beat or being like, uh, or making me feel bad about it, I was like, yeah, what do you need? And the next morning, Pammy was born at 740. I was really afraid she was going to be born when I needed to meet Daniel so the event could happen. Little Pammy came exactly at the moment she would have to have come So that I could be there for the birth I was there, I held little Pammy in my hands I gave her hugs and kisses I jumped in my car when my aunt came to be with Marta I ran, Daniel took over I came back to the hospital and Daniel ran a perfect Kubrick show Thank you, Daniel, very, very much
0: The saying he kept a nice, short, short, and sweet
1: Oh his intros you mean As opposed to my long rambling intros Is that what you're trying to The point you're well, making Craig comes prepared I came less so Or as Edwin said You gave beautifully concise haiku introductions That I'm incapable of Fair So there you go That's what happened And then little Pammy was born And she's two days old now And then um, this Sunday we're off But by the time you hear this Secret movie clubbers on Friday Almost the entirety of our July Will have been announced There are actually two or three more events I can't quite announce yet I think we'll be announcing those next Next week on Tuesday, July 6th And as always, we just want to remind you That we are asking for submissions For the 2021 Secret Movie Club Short Film Festival Which we're doing in partnership with LA's own Channel 35 We're going to pick 12 shorts They're going to get shown for a year You get paid $100 After that year, all rights revert back to you The theme is Los Angeles Rises Keep it five minutes or fewer Make sure we can show it on TV The deadline for that is July 12th at 11.59pm So you still have about two weeks to do this And uh, we have many more things to announce, but we will save them for another time because we're going to get to the main topic. Here we go. Spoof movies actually have been around as long as cinema has been around. It would be tempting if you didn't do your research to think that spoof movies only came really into being with 1980s Airplane, which is still considered one of the greatest spoof movies of all time, which itself was a spoof of a movie from the 1950s called Zero Hour and a whole series of movies from the 1970s, The Airport, Airport 75, where some airplane would have a horrible accident and then an all-star cast of characters would either freak out and or help the airplane land But actually spoof movies go Back all the way to early early In silent film I mean once there was a movie That was popular someone was spoofing It to give you an example D.W. Griffith Made an incredible silent film called Intolerance which I actually love and highly Recommend everybody see where he did I think Four stories in four different historical Periods about the theme of intolerance And then Buster Keaton very Shortly after that made a hilarious comedy Called Three Ages where he spoofed Intolerance and it showed Buster Keaton in three historical periods, just basically in High and Sue. The spoof has been around as long as movies have been around. It is its own genre. I think uniquely you could say that the number of spoof movies that, I don't want to say misfire, but maybe don't hang around a long time, is much higher. This is a genre where there are a lot of movies made to cash in on a specific cultural moment. They do... People, I guess, go see them and then everybody forgets about them or talks about them like, oh, man, that wasn't really that funny or they were just doing a bunch of easy jokes. Maybe I'm wrong. People can take me up on it, but it's not a genre like noir or the Western where you're really telling a story that's ageless. In the spoof, you're actually telling a story that really depends on a lot of cultural pop culture references to be funny and then quickly those age out and no one gets what you were talking
2: about. Spoof. It's kind of a genre, a parody, that kind of thing, is actually the thing I have the most experience with in terms of making. I had, in high school and in college, a web show and a student television show. And the backbone of those shows were little parodies of different movies. Things from 400 Blows to several Indiana Jones parodies... To Wes Anderson, all all sorts of things. On a philosophical level, the big thing with spoof stuff is it has to be funny even if you don't know what it's referencing.
1: That's like the golden rule. I think that's why Airplane works so amazingly.
2: That's why like Airplane and Top Secret in those movies work as well. I was also I I rewatched the first Austin Powers a few years ago, and I think that movie holds up really, really well as well. And it's where things like Date Movie and Epic Movie and those later scary movie movies do so bad at because so many of the jokes are Look, it's Iron Man. And then he gets hit by a cow.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I kind of think that that style of filmmaking, in terms of like immediate reaction to pop culture, has just become internet videos now. From
2: the epic movie, date movie, eventually it became to the point where they weren't even like perioding movies that were out yet. They were perioding like elements of movies from trailers. So people would like remember, I guess, the thing that happened. Like, hey, you remember when Iron Man showed up? Mm -hmm. I looked up Martin Scorsese's piece on cinema because I was trying to figure out what Scorsese would think of spoof movies because there is something to be said about the fact that something like Airplane or Top Secret those movies don't really work on like a character level that much I don't think. You just don't care Really, it really is just a connected series of jokes. Almost like a concert movie. It's like a totally different type of film than what we're normally thinking about. It functions on a level that most movies don't and it's not even trying to function on that level usually i mean there's some of these movies that attempt some sort of like pathos in them but most of them you know like airplane or top secret again i don't really care that much about val kilmer and top secret so much as he is a vehicle for this series of incredible jokes.
1: You said it much better. We're really talking about the parody film. One of the clear distinctions between parody and satire is both of them are subgenres of comedy. So we're really talking about comedy today, although I guess you can make a parody film and have it be just totally not funny. There's no reason why it couldn't be, like intentionally. But usually the parody film is using your knowledge of other works to generate the
3: laughter, at least partially. Connor and I grew up in a period where spoof parody stuff was thrown at you constantly. There was one every six months and it was like the talk of the town for about a week, like you said. And it was kind of genius because it was the exact type of thing that in middle school, high school, you would spend that week talking. If you came Monday and you hadn't seen the new one, there was a conversation you weren't a part of, but that went away a week later. So it was like a thing that you felt like you had to go, but then at the same time, there's stuff like *Shaun of the Dead*, *Hot Fuzz*, like Edgar Wright's thing that I don't think fall into spoof or parody. I think they're a type of filmmaking that is like a love letter, but they so often get categorized. Like I was looking up, like I was trying to find some out of the box spoof parody stuff before we started recording, and a lot of them list movies that I would consider to be love letter. There's probably a better definition, but essentially movies that utilize the tropes of the genre, but make unique things that clearly love the things that they're making fun of, or they're embracing them fully to make the movie work with it.
2: I think the difference is something like Shaun of the Dead works as a horror movie while also being funny and referential, as opposed to like Airplane doesn't really work as a airline disaster movie. You're never sitting there actually emotionally concerned (laughs) about whether or not they're going to get to land this plane on time compared to in Shaun of the Dead when he has to kill his mom, and it's, like, devastating.
3: There's definitely films that I think, especially, like, I think the Monty Python troupe really nail that line of where it is completely ridiculous but also functions as a general comedy movie uh, and what they do, especially referencing back. Cause half the stuff, I don't know if you didn't, kids of now, like, are you rushing out to watch big biblical epics to fully take in what Monty Python and the Holy Grail or Life of Brian is doing? And I think they, they still work without that. I think as you guys were saying, that's, that's what's so important. Like Connor was saying too, as a kid, when you're making your own stuff, I think spoof parody is a very common thing to turn to because it's something that makes sense. It's something you know that you like, you can replicate it with your friends in a way that is funny to you and them, whether it's funny to anyone else, I don't know. It's appealing to make a spoof of things to sort of wrap you around around how you're going to find your own voice. It's my
0: favorite genre. Of comedy I grew up watching uh, it in, in high school And the first one That I got into Was Mel Brooks I think Mel Brooks Is a good example Of like the master Of spoofs Cause Look at all of his movies They're just outright hilarious
1: That's such a great example Cause he predated Airplane by a decade
0: I think Young Frankenstein's the first one That did it I don't know about The producers And Twelve Chairs
1: Those aren't parodies I know
0: th- those aren't But when, when, when we get to uh, Young Frankenstein Blaine Saddles That's when it became The master of spoofing Everything Thing. My favorite one is High Anxiety because he's spoofing uh, Alfred Hitchcock and it's so hilarious. Another good example... Um, Bella
1: Tarr. Huh? The Hungarian filmmaker who made 12-hour movies. You're
2: talking about his parodies? No.
0: No, who, who the hell is that? Who are you talking about, Craig? What are you talking about? I want you to watch a movie. I, I don't want to watch his movies. I want to watch my movies that make sense and and I would like it. Satan
1: Tango, Turin Horse. Oh my god. And, two of the most hilarious European comedies of the last 30 years. Yeah,
0: whatever you're uh, anyway Anyway, uh, Mel Brooks... And Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner is a, is a good example. He made a spoof of uh, Dead Man, Don't Wear a uh, Plaid, and, and that's like one of the greatest film noirs of all time. You hear me, Craig? Well,
1: and even The Man who, the man with Two Brains is a parody. I mean, it, it's its own thing, but I think he's sort of referencing crazy 50s sci-fi. Yeah,
3: that's true. That's true. It just adds Steve Martin to it. Also, Mel Brooks turned 95 yesterday. We should, uh, happy birthday, Mel Brooks.
1: Happy birthday, Mel. Happy
0: birthday, Mel. My favorite director. Always hope I... Hope I Crafting Fingers is the one that I meet him because I like to tell him I talk to him about High Anxiety because that was like the first comedy I ever saw about him and I laughed my ass up when I saw that movie. I think the 70s and 80s and somewhat of the 90s had a good run for spoofing me but when we got to the 2000s that's when it started to die off a little bit. Scary movie yeah they're good. But after we get to the late 2000s, that's when it starts to die. We, we haven't had a spoof movie in such a long time. We have like, some, but they're not as funny as the ones they had back in those days.
1: I love Airplane. I love Top Secret. I really like Naked Gun, just not quite as much as Top Secret and Airplane. And that's just a, whatever, idiosyncratic thing. But, uh, but still, Naked Gun has amazing jokes. The jokes in Airplane are almost... Always visual jokes Uh, They're visual jokes or verbal jokes that aren't Actually jokes about do you Remember that scene in airport 75 There's some of that one of my favorite jokes In that movie is like a Marx Brothers joke Where Julie Haggerty is handing out reading Material and the one woman's like do you Have something light she's like well I do have this pamphlet on Jewish sports heroes (laughs) She's like oh that'll be Perfect the other thing and I remember we were Talking about 1941 you know we've Talked about this because Connor loves Spielberg I Love Spielberg and I know Edwin thinks 1941 1941 works great, and I want to speak for Connor, but I think 1941 is a totally fine movie. I just think it's meant to be a comedy, and there's not a real gut laugh. There's like a gut laugh every 20 minutes, and then the rest of the movie, it's maybe little chuckles. I Save it for the 1941 yeah. episode, but I think the thing with Airplane that I would point out is that there are five or six jokes every minute, maybe even more, and maybe two or three of them don't hit. But the one or two that hit always hit. In Top Secret, they were using Casablanca a little bit as the central love story between Val Kilmer and the resistance woman and then the guy who goes away and comes back. But you don't need any of that. You can you can kind of notice it and appreciate it. There was definitely something about the 80s where they enjoyed and reveled in being risque in a fun way that I think I don't know if we've moved back or forwards on that. But we just don't have the same innocent joy in being inappropriate that made those movies really joyful and make other movies feel kind of skeezy. And I don't know how the Abram Zuckers pulled it off. There was. What was it, guys, about 10 years ago?
2: It was like the 2000s. Yeah. It was like the big heyday of it. And it was really because the first two scary movies were by Keenan Ivory Wayans coming out of In Living Color and all that stuff. And then the Zuckers or some portion of that team took over with Scary Movie 3. But then I think the movies around then started to become more all audiences and I think studio so dollar signs so that's where you get date movie and epic movie and meet the Spartans and
3: it dropped from rated R parody spoofs to PG-13 to have a mass appeal
2: um, which isn't necessarily bad because the first scary movie 3 which is when these guys when the Zuckers people came in that one's probably the best of those movies maybe I
1: remember that whatever that period was I'm going to say maybe 2005 to 2015 because in what you guys are talking about you're referencing the Richard Curtis movies and uh, you're referencing 3 And whatever else they were spoofing. I just remember seeing the trailers for those movies and they were literally just cracking jokes about uh, Scarface. I remember one time seeing a trailer where the joke was literally say hello to my little friend. And then a little person with a bazooka was behind the person and he was like, hello. And And I was like, one, I didn't think that joke was very funny Two, the joke was just about Scarface. I've never seen any of those films. I don't want to judge them, but I just wondered, is it almost like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy where by the time you got to the last movies, it was literally just reference, 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 reference. Has anyone ever
2: seen Epic movie
1: or Date movie? Or-
2: I've not seen any of those. I've seen the first four scary movies, but I haven't seen any in totality, any of those other ones. So to be fair, any comments I've made about them, maybe they're great. Maybe I'd watch them and I'd be like, this is the best movie I've ever seen.
0: They're not as Funny, but it got some cool jokes, I guess. an epic movie they make fun of Woody Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and uh which was weird and Chronicles of Narnia which was stupid. There's one scene in particular where Deuce is, is is gonna have sex with one of the X-Men and it, and it's the chick that transforms and it's weird. I don't wanna get into it, but it's like one of the most strangest things in the whole movie. I, I, I liked it as a kid, but now as an adult, like wow, this is garbage. <laughs> I regret watching this.
1: I think the uh, parody movies, spoof movies are probably really pitched for 11 12 and 13 year olds
0: yeah look at me it
1: may also be that they really know their audience and their audience is 11 12 and 13 year olds and sex with a morphing x-men would be hilarious probably i mean i don't It kind of sounds like a joke that could work to me as well
3: when we were going when they were in theaters i was in middle school going into high school and that was the same thing i don't remember a lot about them except that so much of the humor is tied to current events and so they seem in the moment very funny because of how they're reacting to things but i have never had an urge a lot A
2: lot of Iraq war jokes. Very tailored
3: to like the month it comes out, there's probably jokes written the month before. It almost feels like they were making movies the way South Park makes episodes, but the post production took longer. So in the months it took to get it to theaters, it was already dating itself. I'm a huge
1: South Park fan. Definitely, you know, it's been around a long, long time. Some seasons are better than others, but I do love Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I do love South Park. And I always used to be blown away at how the week after a presidential election, there would be an episode about the presidential election. And I was like, whoa, how'd they do that? But there's this thing about humor that I think about a lot, and it's also tied into writing, and I'm just gonna throw it to you guys, where there are a lot of scripts and movies that make a lot of pop culture references, and a lot of filmmakers who have made their bones being the pop culture filmmaker. And yet, there's sort of common wisdom that you don't, you want to avoid that. You want to avoid a lot of pop culture because within 10 years, no one, it won't mean anything to anybody. And what was really cool and hip will just be people will sit there being like, I don't get any of this. What do you guys think about that, about pop culture in movies?
2: I think it has to be something that's either organic to the story or works, whether or not you know the reference. So there are certain pop culture things, like in the, this is a book, but in It, for instance, when they're in the 50s, they're referencing certain pop culture.
1: They remember uh, horror movies from the 50s. It takes the form of the movies they were watching.
2: That's like appropriate to the story and grounds the characters in the world they're in. Or again, if with like spoof movies, if you're referencing something, but if somebody doesn't recognize it and it's still viable, that's fine. It's more so that whenever, whenever it gets so... Specific about like a thing that you would have to know for it to feel relevant. I think that's when it doesn't work.
3: Especially tied into character, it functions really well. Because at the same time, in regards to basic pop culture stuff, you get things like Garden of the Galaxy, That's entire soundtrack is built around pop culture of the 80s that represents the character in the film. And when it's done in that way, it also, I mean, that soundtrack, I think for a lot of people, introduced them to a lot of their parents' music. So it's like this interesting force of good to introduce you to new stuff, where it's not just a one-off joke that won't make sense if you don't know the thing. Instead, it's something sort of tied into the story or tied into a character that I think functions. I think since some of it's supposed to be diegetic, it does Work as world building on top of things. I mean, some one-off jokes are obviously funny regardless but i guess i never really thought about it i think pop culture stuff definitely dates your movie because it puts it in such a specific period that i some people may not consider where a joke you make becomes such a product of its time now that you're trapped in being oh we're the 90s movie because we brought this stuff up where if that's in the moment versus if you're making something that's supposed to take place in the past that i think is kind of fascinating because there's stuff that i watched that i cannot escape except the feeling of knowing what i was doing when i watched it because the pop culture thing is something i lived through it's tough. I don't I don't think I prefer one way or another, but I do think when it's tied in destroy your character it's more effective to me.
1: I mean you could probably make a huge argument in terms of Edgar Wright Because Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz To a lesser extent, The World's End But that's sort of referencing Hammer movies Hammer sci-fi films and stuff But there's tons and tons and tons of pop culture I mean, Edgar Wright's built his career on pop culture And yet his movies can just be enjoyed as cinema too You don't really need to pick up that he's riffing on Michael Bay Or riffing on the Buddy Cop movie Or riffing on the Hammer 50s sci-fi
3: I think the fact that they stand alone And they work regardless of that And if that's your thing if it's something you enjoy, it's now just elevating the content. And it's smart, like Hot Fuzz makes it a character beat that one of the characters is obsessed with that type of pop culture. So he brings up these references that are later going to have payoff.
2: Even outside of pop culture, I think it's hard to escape culture, period. You can't escape culture. And so there's going to be things that date in your movie regardless. And so again, it just comes down to whether or not it works in the context
3: you also get stuff like in it follows there are choices made where you never see a computer the only electronic cell phone is this weird shell that doesn't really exist so that they almost feel otherworldly. So there's no clear indicator of where we are. That I think is kind of interesting when you explicitly avoid pop culture in that regard in something that appears modern.
1: If you watch a Martin Scorsese movie, uh, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, and suddenly Jonah Hill comes out with a band of strippers. If you're attuned to it, you're like, oh, he's referencing Citizen Kane. He's literally doing the Citizen Kane dance with the girls at the beginning. And the movie's filled with Citizen Kane references, weirdly. And that's a kind of parody. I know that people say that's an homage, but you don't need to know that to enjoy that scene or for that scene to work. But it's definitely, if you pick up on it, you're like, oh, he's he's doing a shout out to something. And Tarantino does that. The
3: and, image still works. You see Leo referencing Kane when he does blow out of uh, someone's butt, and I think that whether you've seen Citizen Kane or not, that's still effective.
1: That famous Citizen Kane scene. What? Absolutely. Charles Foster Kane
3: did blow Rose, out of. Rose,
1: <laughs>
2: was the rosebud referring to
1: her butthole? Yes. <laughs> oh, you guys ruined Citizen Kane for everybody. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, like the movies themselves, this is going to be a shorter podcast. What is a favorite moment you guys have from a parody movie?
2: I, well, I was just going to mention one we haven't mentioned at all that's my favorite is Wet Hot American Summer, which is basically a movie made by the state, which is like maybe the foundational text for my personal sense of humor. I think the joke I always think about from that is when Ken Marino and Joe LaTrulio. Joe LaTrulio is chasing Ken Marino and Ken Marino puts like a tiny little hay bale in the middle of the road <laughs> and then Joe LaTrulio drives up to it and obviously the idea is supposed to be that it's like this giant barrier that he can't get past so he has to go down another road but it's clearly a tiny little hay bale that he could easily go around but he acts like it's a giant barrier and he's like oh, yeah.
1: Do you want to just give a little bio on what the state, who the state was? It
2: was this comedy troupe from New York that did a tv show that spun out in a million different directions wet hot american summer reno 911, stella sketch comedy is almost its own sort of thing they had a lot of really good stuff mr show again also had some good parodies
1: my favorite joke from wet hot american summer was the whole thing about how they kept killing kids and just dumping them on the side of the road i was and then there was that other joke that i thought was hilarious where the two counselors you don't know what's going on and they go in a shed and suddenly have a really hot
2: gay love scene (laughs) you were like what
3: it's my Michael Ian Black and Bradley Cooper. Yeah, you could. You, we could spend two hours on what had American summer. It's a masterpiece.
2: Just to give one more the state from their show. The state. There's a really good sketch called uh, Sideways House Family, which is a parody spoof of like a goofy sitcom where the goofy premise is that their house is sideways, except because their house is sideways, it's like actual a horrible reality for them. And so the actual family is just devastated by the reality of their situation. But then Michael Ian Black shows up as the goofy neighbor as if he's still from the sitcom. It's, it's a lot of fun.
0: High anxiety uh, is when Mel Brooks is checking to this hotel and he's talking to the Bell Boy, which is played by Barry Levinson, who is asking him to uh, get the newspaper and he keeps asking multiple times until Barry Levinson leaves his patrol and like, he says, alright, right, all right, all alright, alright, ready and uh, Mel Brooks' character calls the lobby and tells the dude to like, don't forget to oh, get the newspaper, get the stick get the newspaper, and then the final scene is when Mel Brooks goes to take a shower and it basically riffs on Psycho and he got Barry and coming into the shower like, hey and I, that's like literally the best scene in the whole movie. And, and and the end joke said, when Mel Brooks says, that kid gets no tip. <laughs> <And> <laughs> probably the most funny scene in the whole movie and also the bird poop scene, which is also hilarious. But I, I always love the cycle. Ralph Spoof it's hilarious. Yeah. Just, uh, if you don't check out High Anxiety, I, I will find you and I will destroy you.
1: Edwin. Someone has to give you like a crash course in soft power. And persuasion, but that's another time.
3: Uh, Daniel. Well, first, we should give a shout for Secret Movie Club team member Casey Young. Casey is a Scream fanatic, and I think Scream falls into the, that kind of weird middle ground of being like a kind of a spoof parody, but also just being a great horror slasher film. For me, the things I wrote down that were some of my favorite moments, of, at least of recent uh, spoof stuff, one is Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, I think a very underappreciated... It came out in sort of like the tail end of those sort of starting to trickle off, and I feel like was sort of underseen because of that. It's a parody of, of sort of the... Musical biopic. Walk the line. Walk the line, yeah. And I've realized I just love... Because same with Popstar, Never Stop Never Stopping. Anything musical related in that world seems to work for me. But specifically in Walk Hard, there are all these moments with who is the Tim Meadows t- where John C. Riley continually walks in on Tim Meadows doing different levels of drugs. And he always gets involved in him. He's like, you don't want none of this. It, you know, it does this to you. And he goes, it kind of sounds like I want it. And it becomes a <laughs> drug issue that sparks some conflict in the story. But toward the end, he walks in on Tim Meadows and he's smoking marijuana. He's like, I don't want none of that. I don't want to get addicted. And Tim Meadows is like, it's, it's a non-habit forming drug. He goes, "Well, I don't want it to mess up my stuff." He goes, "It makes you feel great, and it has no side effects," and he declines that. This is recurring bit throughout the entire thing, and it's it's lovely, and I can't do it injustice. My other favorite thing, top secret, the underwater bar fight sequence in Top Secret is just the cherry on top. Th- that
1: bar- underwater barroom fight sequence is an example of a hilarious bit that's cinematically kind of mind-blowing. And I think anyone who sees Top Secret is like, what? You know, and, and this is a conversation. We'll probably have to do a pod. I don't even know if you guys would want to do this pod. But we've talked a little bit about Woody Allen movies. Obviously, Woody Allen is a hugely... Divisive divisive guy uh, right Now and uh, I always have to preface It by saying that you know my my stance On it not that anyone asked me but My stance on it is that I think Dylan and Ronan the Two children they deserve all the benefit Of the doubt and uh, I think (laughs) The best you can say is they had one Horrible parent maybe two horrible parents And I'm not going to make any judgment Call there and I'm certainly not going to say that Someone didn't experience the reality they Experienced so we'll have to discuss That another time it's a very complicated Complicated issue Um, However I do have to say That one of the filmmakers Who got me into Wanting to be a director Was Woody Allen Pre all this I saw Annie Hall And then I saw everything That Woody Allen did When I was 14 It was right before All that went down Literally that all went down When I was 15 years old But I I saw Annie Hall I saw everything he did And his earlier movies Specifically my favorite Is Love and Death If uh, people have never seen Love and Death I think it's actually One of the most Hilarious parodies Ever done But what he's parodied. Is he's parroting In typical Woody Allen fashion uh, Russian literature Igmar Bergman Stanley Kubrick and the Napoleonic Wars, and so there's this great bit that I always used to, like—and it used to make my granddad bust up, too, where they're about to go fight the Napoleonic Wars, and because it's in the 19th century, instead of watching movies or commercials about sexually transmitted diseases, a theater troupe company, like, comes and performs this thing, and they're all horrible actors, and the guy playing the soldier is like, oh— I'm gonna go into town And then a woman comes She's a prostitute She's like Here, have sex with me And then he's like Why does it burn when I pee? And then that's the end of it And then Woody Allen Who's just been enlisted In the Napoleonic War Is like I found that quite exciting The actress behaved with Brio I learned quite a lot And I remember it was like just This ridiculous joke About a sexually transmitted Disease PSA But uh, if people have not seen uh, Love and Death And I respect If you're like I'm never gonna see it And I will say I guess the other thing To be truthful I have to tell everybody I'm agnostic on that whole thing I I think it's Schrodinger's cat And I I really wish it would get solved before all those people fade away Because I think Dylan especially Dylan and Ronan deserve some closure But that's a story for another time uh, And anyway Love and Death is hilarious I
0: will never get tired of that movie And I will defend that movie with you Craig Because I love Love and Death
1: Probably well, it's, it's top three Woody Allen's most hilarious comedies If you ever want to see what he did really really well Love and Death is the thing to see So so there you go I'm going to go out on a controversial parody <laughs> But but there, there you are Anyway, smooth transition,
0: pop culture, and final thoughts. I saw Raise the Titanic.
1: Thanks, Edwin. Now, uh, Daniel or Connor? What about Raise the Titanic?
0: It's actually pretty damn good. It was, it was really good. Just, uh, I know they didn't knew about the ship being split apart in the movie. It's intact completely, and it's kind of nice because you know, like. What if they did raise the Titanic? What if they did finish his journey to New York and you know, it's kind of a nice send out but
1: what's the premise of the movie? I I know I thought it was a documentary.
0: It's a fiction film. It's based on a book. The premise is some dude left some nuclear stuff that he stole from Russia, ended up boarding the Titanic and it sank with it, and now the military wants to get this thing to use for their own personal use and they do is raise the Titanic just for that and then they end up finding it on a gravestone somewhere else which they did all that for nothing. But it was really cool. When was the movie made? It was filmed 1977, uh, released 1980, and put that studio into bankruptcy because it was a big flop at the box
3: office. Without spoiling the movie, in Raise the Titanic, do they raise the Titanic? They do raise the Titanic. Without spoiling the My,
1: You know, my stepdad, who was a second father to me, Henry, was an immigrant. He came here to the United States from Germany when he was 14, and he said one of the most haunting moments of his life was he came by boat, my stepdad, and they stopped In the middle of this ocean And there was all this ice around And he was like Why are we stopping? And the captain came out And he said We are now directly above the Titanic And we're gonna take a minute To remember all the people A thousand feet below us And my stepdad said It was the weirdest Most haunting feeling in the world To be right above the Titanic
0: I also saw Woody Allen's uh, Scoop Last night I loved it I thought it was hilarious It's almost like a spiritual sequel To Manhattan Murder Mystery It It had the same feeling to it Scarlett Johansson What a babe. And also, Hugh Jackman. What a hunk. What a hunk. He's using some of his things from his other stuff, like uh, New York Stories, where in the segment he, he goes to a magician, and um, and, and later on he plays that kind of same magician in this movie, which uh, conjured up a spiritual reporter that goes to Scarlett Johansson saying, hey, I'm giving you the scoop to find out this guy's the actual serial killer. And next thing you know, she does that, and it's, it's a really fun comedy. I love it. Willie Allen's hilarious in that film. Uh, it's a cool comedy.
3: I have been on a mad binge with my friend Lisey of the Fast and Furious franchise, culminating with the screening of Fast 9 of F9 my apologies with Connor yeah, please please but I, I thought I was looking at my diary of movies and I did the first The Fast and the Furious and then I watched the two Scorsese movies and then I did Two Fast, Two Furious Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift Fast and Furious Fast 5 Fast and Furious 6 then took a break from Magnolia came back for Furious 7 watched Paths of Glory and Barry Lyndon and then took a break, came back for Fate of the Furious into F9. And I got to tell you, that is the scope of cinema. Coming back to movies, there is not much more you could ask for than something like F9. It is the loveliest thing to just be in a seat with a giant tub of popcorn putting calories in your body. How do they bring Han back? I don't, I'm not going to spoil it, but it makes perfect sense. They explain it in two sentences, and it's all the better for it.
2: It's a double retcon. They've retconned it twice. I mean, the biggest headline for F9 is it's the return to Justin Lin because I think really what we're seeing is that the secret sauce for the fast movies is three things one of which we can never get back again which of course is Paul Walker the other two is Vin Diesel and Justin Lin it's worth noting I think me and Daniel agree that the worst one is probably Hobbs and Shaw or at least one of the worst one and that has none of those three things in it and I think there is a earnestness that all three of those guys bring to these things there is a sequence in this where Vin Diesel has like a spiritual journey through his past after getting knocked up not knocked not knocked up knocked out
3: he gets (laughs) pregnant he does I wish like
2: junior there's so much (laughs) earnestness in these movies and at the same time they know exactly what they are they're kind of perfect blockbusters
3: talking about spoof parody stuff the fast franchise walks this line where it is not afraid to wink at itself but it always takes everything it does with that seriously the joke. Is never like the thing you're, you're watching may be so unbelievable that you laugh at it, but it is always conveyed with complete seriousness, kind of like the soap opera aesthetic, and I think that is why it works so well.
2: Light spoiler alert: We've we've all talked about them when they're going to go to space, and guess what, buddy? <laughs> They did it in this one. No.
3: As just a note, this one is a, this one is, is filling up. Calling a plot holes is not fair, but it's really interested in filling in plot things from the rest of the franchise. And there's two more movies we've now. Justin Lin will finish out the franchise with two more movies. And they've really set up that the next two, I'm not really sure what they're going to do because they've really worked to fill in the gaps of what came before.
1: Oh, uh, that really depressed. Did I tell you? I think I pitched it to Connor. I had the idea for Fast 10. Like, this character comes to Vin Diesel. This is in the trailer. I just had the trailer. And he's like, to Vin Diesel, he's like, I'm your son and your father.
3: (laughs) And that's time travel. I honestly think they could pull it off.
2: There's a bit here where they fake you out, where they there's like a minute where you think they're about to introduce some like meta-human superpower stuff. Um, but then it ends up being a bit.
3: There's also great stuff where you think they're introducing crazy technology. Like, how did they do that? And they explain it, and you're like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Genius.
2: And you can watch me stream video games at twitch.tv/slash Connor Cruz. And uh my pop culture and final thoughts. Yeah, what have you been up to this weekend?
1: (laughs) I was actually going to say, I think... um For whatever it's worth, I'm going to meander, but I'll meander concisely, Edwin. I won't meander infuriatingly, I hope. Uh, So a number of interesting things happened over the last few weeks. It was Father's Day and uh, Craigie, my son, my oldest child, you know, I picked him up and he had made this plate, you know, that said world's best dad. And then he'd made a rocket ship that like I love you to the stars and back. And then they took a picture of him with a construction hat and a wrench. And uh, it said I couldn't have built a better dad. And I know this is super cheesy, but they hand me these things, and I'm looking at them, and I almost burst into tears, and I have this realization that these things I'm holding in my hands, and this is no knock on an Academy Award or a Nobel Peace Prize, I would be more than honored, and I would totally show up to get one of those, and I think those have true merit. But I held those things in my hand and I was like, if I get no other award in the world, the fact that I'm holding my little (laughs) three-year-olds like this stuff, this is really all that I I want, I need. And then... Our daughter is born, Pammy And you guys were there for that I mean, you guys were covering Secret Movie Club Making sure Secret Movie Club happened So that I could be with my wife And this thing, this funny thing happened Where we were going to show three movies um, We were going to do Airplane, Top Secret, Naked Gun And right as Top Secret was starting My wife calls me And, and you, you can just tell For whenever this happens to any of you You hear a, a, a voice and a sound And you're like, no, this, this go time And Marta was even like, well, I don't know I'm just in pain, I can't talk to you right now and then I was like, oh, okay So then we had had this plan If it happened while I was projecting the movies Because I'm still projecting the movies So I call the neighbor, call my brother-in-law Get everything in motion, we get an aunt She gets in the car right away to be over there with the kids And I'm debating for just about Three minutes, I'm like Should I still run the naked gun? Because knowing the the first two births, Marta won't have the baby until the morning. Because once you go to the hospital, usually they give you an epidural. And it's actually still about five to six hours before uh, you give birth. That was our experience in both the first two kids. But then I'm like, I was like, no, (laughs) even if I'm there all night, even if. Pammy doesn't come for another two days I stop this movie and I go and I be with my Wife and that's clearly the right decision I know it I felt it on a very quiet Profound level so I go I talk to Connor And Edwin you guys were like yes that's The right decision not I mean you just everyone knew It was right the audience knew it was right I get to the hospital and I was with my wife For the night and our our beautiful daughter's born the next Morning and I'm just lucky that I Didn't F up and make the wrong decision that's That's the only point of that story but the last thing I want to tell the audience is that I've struggled a long Time with wanting to be a great Father and husband And also and I mean this humbly I still want to make some of the greatest movies Of all time I still do And my feeling has always been well can you do Both or do you have to be kind of A horrible person in your personal life To be obsessively Kind of psychotically obsessed with making The perfect movie as it seems a lot of the greatest Movie makers are whose personal lives Are in shambles and the the answer that I came up for myself was well I don't know But I couldn't make the Movies I want to make if I wasn't sincerely trying to be a good person on a personal level. That's the realization that I've had, is that I want to make some of the greatest movies ever, but I couldn't make them if I wasn't sincerely trying on a personal level. So that's no answer. That's just sort of like where I'm at. But that's my thought For the week so there you go All right, guys So uh, we have already told you our schedule But as always you can go to secretmovieclub.com To see everything in July This week we begin Friday is uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands Saturday is uh, Robert Altman's Nashville And McCabe and Mrs. Miller and then Saturday Night we're doing the Naked Gun uh, Which we weren't able to show last week And they're all on 35mm you can see The rest of July on 35 At secretmovieclub.com or go to Eventbrite as always you can write us a community At secretmovieclub.com or podcast at SecretMovieClub.com. Next week for Secret Movie Club Podcast 64, uh, we're going to return to our series The Pieces of Cinema, and we're going to be talking about sound and sound design, which uh, you know, if you go to NYU, I did not, but some of my favorite filmmakers went to NYU. Their intro class is called Sight and Sound, and there's a very famous British magazine called Sight and Sound. And if you had to be super reductive about cinema, Sight and Sound, you could do worse than saying that. Cinema is not only the image, it is also how you use the sound. And uh, we are going to be doing a double feature next week at the million dollar of David Lynch's eraser head and Mulholland Drive. And as Connor pointed out, David Lynch is one of the marquee directors who seems to understand the importance of sound as importantly as the importance of the image. So we'll get into sound, sound designers and sound in cinema. That's next week. And lastly, as always, none of this could have happened without the entire team. And specifically, the podcast is edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who now has his work cut out for him as he is cutting like a mofo pre-shows as we are showing many more movies but thank you connor as always so there we go guys have a great week there's a lot to talk about welcome pamela to the world i love you with all my heart love you craiggy love you carmen love you martha and i love you guys all right have a great week bye